Hi, friends. This is Angie, Cecily, Heather, and Becca, your host of the Seasons Ministry Podcast. And we are so excited to gather around this table and invite you into our conversation. And we just want to spend a minute um, telling you how we got here. Over the summer at our nights of worship, we focused in on Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. So I'm going to read those, and then we're going to share a little bit about what God has done through these two verses. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And we wrestled with these. If you were at our summer nights of worship, you saw us wrestle with these verses. But one word that really stuck out to us and then just started popping out to us all over the place was the word transform. And in those verses, it tells us to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that's what we invite you to every time we start on these podcasts. We gather around God's word. We ask for the Holy Spirit to do the work that the word can do in us. We ask for his power to move in us. So we invite you into this new season of transform. Yeah, so to me, transform is, uh, thinking about this theme as you were talking, Angie, it's um, a sign of hope for me because I know my struggles. I know my battles. And so when you hear that, you know, presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, it's so hard because I personally struggle with how I want things to be, how I want things to turn out. And facing a lot of really big things it feels very helpless. But when we go back to, to God's word, we're reminded that our hope is in Jesus. It is in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that helps us be able to just lay ourselves down. I think also when I think of the word transform, it's a process. And it's something that we are going to live out um, until we receive that glorification when we meet Jesus face, face to face. So it's this sanctification process in our life. And if we look back at the scripture, Romans 12, at the end of verse 1, it says, this is your true and proper worship. And when I think about transformation, it's a life of worship. And if you go back to the Hebrew word of worship, worship means to bow down. So we're bowing not only just our life before him, but we're bowing our hearts to him. And that's really where the transformation happens when we begin to realize that we are living a life in complete surrender to the Lord. Does it mean that we're never going to mess up? No, but it means we're going to live out this process um, while we're here on earth. A lot of times we feel that salvation is the checkbox sort of thing where we we accept Jesus into our hearts and we um, are baptized and all of those things. And then, you know, everything else is just whatever, details. I think a few years ago... Cecily said, if that were God's plan, then when we became saved, we would go to heaven immediately. But we don't normally do that. Most of the time that doesn't happen on our deathbed. That happens sometime before, thankfully. Um, And 
so as we were looking at this uh, verse, the the living sacrifice, not to be conformed, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, I think it goes from those past tense verbs of conformed to transformed by the renewing, which is a present tense verb because it's continual. This is something that keeps happening over and over, just like forgiveness. You know, you choose every day to forgive the person that um, has hurt you and you live in that life of forgiveness that you choose every day. And this is a process that we choose every day to allow God to renew our minds, to remember that we are wanting to live a surrendered life to God and to his plan and trust him in that. And as we were um, thinking about and praying about these words somewhere over the summertime, God put um, the book of Jonah on my heart. And honestly, I don't even remember why. (laughs) And maybe as we get into these conversations and this study, God will help me remember. But it doesn't matter. You know, he he brought us to this book. And I think as that happened, um, and as we started to dig into it, we started to see transformation after transformation happening inside of this book. And not all of them are positive. There are moments in time every day that we make a choice in um, living a life that is transformed to um, surrender to God as a living sacrifice is something that we do constantly. We we come to this um, fork in the road and we choose, am I going to live the um, life that God would have me to live or am I going to take the path that my body, my, my desires, carnal flesh is taking me towards. And so, um, we're going to watch Jonah walk through that constant transformation process and watch him make some good decisions and some bad decisions. But also we're not going to, um, harshly judge Jonah because (laughs) I think as we watch him make decisions that are difficult, we will see ourselves inside of those. And self-reflection is where we come back to all the time. Yes, and I'm sure you've heard me say this before, but the whole entire Bible is the theme of God with us. And as we talk about this process of transform, when we proclaim in that salvation moment that we believe Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, that is instant, but then it's continual. And that's that sanctifying grace that Heather was referencing. So that means a life lived in worship is a life lived with God. And that's the interesting thing about transform. If you look it up in the original language, it means transform after being with. So we're invited into this relationship and we're trusting that as we spend time with God, his Holy Spirit that now dwells within us will begin and continue that out. And sometimes those degrees of grace are a lot smaller. And I think that's why it's important. Like Becca said, we don't want to go in picking apart Jonah because we also realize in our day-to-day how slow the process can be in our own life, that the same grace that was needed in our moment of salvation is the same grace we need to live that life of worship and walk it out. Yeah, so when I think about seasons, we've talked a lot about this uh, in this new season for us, and it's about equipping. But the equipping doesn't come from anything that we do or anything that we bring. It is coming back to Jesus and back to his word. And so uh, that's what I think of when I think about this transform uh, after being with that, that uh, definition. 
is that it's time spent with Jesus. And so as we think seasons and we talk about the things that that, um, we came into being to do, the equipping is done by spending time in God's word. And so that's what we're inviting you into, just coming around the table with us as we open uh, the book of Jonah, as we talk through some of the things that we wrestle with and bring it into how we apply it or how we see it around us. I also think that as we go into the book of Jonah and we're starting here with this uh, theme of transform, we begin to see obedience played out um, throughout the book of Jonah. And if ladies, if we're all very honest, um, some of us probably struggle in that area from time to time, thinking we're not good enough or we're not equipped or let's just face it, we're a woman um, in, a, in, in society today. And sometimes we feel like we don't have that, that voice. But if we look back here at Romans chapter 12, um, at the end of two, it says, after we're renewing our mind, it says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Um, and I know a lot of times we're searching for what what is God's will for my life? But Paul is telling us here in Romans that if you are just renewing your mind, if you are going back to God's word daily, if you are surrendering your life to his and having that relationship with him, then we are able to follow through with that obedience. And as we're walking out obedience, again, it's a daily thing. We walk out our obedience every day. We are then able to see what God's will is for us. So um, in... Um, ancient times, and still to this day, Jewish people celebrate Yom Kippur, which is a um, day right into the new year um, for them, which starts in the fall sometimes. They don't have like a January 1st New Year's Day like we do, but it kind of rolls around our calendar. But um, usually in September or October, they have this holiday, Yom Kippur, and it is a day of atonement. Um, And they spend 25 hours fasting and um, self-reflection and repentance um, and recommitment to changed behaviors. So during that holiday, they actually read the book of Jonah. And as they read the book of Jonah, they have different things that they repeat and and go through. And um, a lot of this day focuses, and when they're reading in this uh, book of Jonah, it focuses on the tension between God's judgment and his mercy, because they're both important parts of who God is, and both important reflections of his grace and his mercy and compassion, because like Angie said, God is slow to anger. Um, anyway, as, as they go into this, and they are reflecting on themselves and they're fasting um, 20, 25 hours of fasting, just like Jonah was in the whale for three days. He was uh, probably fasting. <laughs> I feel like he was probably not eating the things he couldn't see in the dark. Um but also just wrapped up, consumed. We'll get into that more later, but just completely consumed by his inability to do anything but focus in on finding the will that God had for him in his life. And, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that so far I have not had to be in the belly of a whale to find God's will, but I would say probably other situations that felt paralyzing that led me to focusing really just completely in on that. But anyway, at the, um, 
at the conclusion of that book, then the congregation says, together we are Jonah. And I love the way that um, they read that book, not judging Jonah, but also just applying it to their hearts. And I think that that's one of the reasons why we have the book. The book doesn't end with this conclusive, and they all lived happily ever after, because they didn't. And we know that God's judgment did come later to um, both Israel and to Joan, um, Nineveh. <laughs> but um, in that moment, you know, they remembered that they are Jonah and that we are Jonah. And, you know, thank goodness that we are because we have Jesus who um, came to save us. Jonah didn't know about him yet, but we do. And so we can look back at this and just be reminded over and over that our transformation process doesn't depend on us, but the transformation process is the work of the Holy Spirit who was living inside of us, that at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit is sealed to us as part of our inheritance in heaven, and that we spend the rest of our time allowing that transformation process to happen as we struggle between the tension of God's judgment and his mercy. So we're going to hop into Jonah. Um I loved one thing, and that we're always going to encourage you. We're going to break it down step by step as we walk through Jonah, but we encourage you from the beginning, even if you have to hit pause right now, to go ahead and read the entire book of Jonah because it's almost like you got to read to the end to understand what's going on in the beginning. And one thing that I loved was it begins with the word of the Lord and it begin, or it ends with God speaking his word in question to Jonah. So I'm going to start and just read those first two verses of Jonah 1, and then um, probably from there, Cecily may take us back uh, to, to dig into some clues, because as we'll see, we're not going to get a lot of background information from the start of Jonah. So Jonah 1, verses 1 and 2 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So even here, Cecily, what do what do we know about Jonah, or where do we even go from here to learn anything more about Jonah? So we don't know a whole lot, but if we want to read about Jonah, we can see a few verses in 2 Kings 14, um, and I will read 23 through 27. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned for 41 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath, as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. So he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. And so <clears throat> the first thing that we see is that the Lord spoke to Jonah and Jonah prophesied and it has happened. So it, it's an expansion basically of putting the kingdom back um, almost to the size that it was in the time of Solomon. 
short-lived, of course, but this note here to me, when we come to this, we should not miss this where it said, but the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel under heaven. And so we're already starting with his grace. And, and that's, you know, where, where we come to Jonah. Just for knowing where it is, where Nineveh was, it's uh, somewhere about 220 miles north of modern-day Baghdad um, and about 500 miles northeast of Israel. So that just kind of gives us the spot of land of where it is. And honestly, this is what we know of Jonah. This is how we come to it. And I don't have a whole lot to add with that, but I do want to point out before we go any further that we have to remember that this is a book about God and Jonah. A lot of times we want to focus on the fish and Jonah, right? So just to point out, this is a book about a great God. A lot of times we focus on that great fish, um, but we see the sovereignty of God played out. Yeah, um, I, I also want to point out that Jonah's ministry to this point was really, we don't know what else was going on for him, but we do know that things were, I guess, successful for him and pretty well liked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, uh, I guess every prophet's dream is to be the prophet who gets to say, hey, we're going to take back our <laughs> land and it happens. Mm-hmm. You know, I was listening to a sermon series and that pastor pointed out that, um, he was sort of like a hero mm-hmm. to Israel because he was the one who came to the king who wasn't even doing things the way that God wants. It says in verse 24, this king did not do what was good in the sight of the Lord, but he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he did not turn away from their sins. But God was working again, a God who is full of compassion and mercy and slow to anger. Here is a God who is saying, you know what? We're going to take back what belongs to us whether or not you deserve it. And Jonah, you get to be the one who tells everybody about it. So Jonah at this point is a hero. And I think that is an important thing to see as we watch what happens to him next. And uh, we see the resistance. I'm sure everything wasn't wonderful in his life because we also see a lot of hatred in Jonah's heart. Um, And we know that that hatred didn't come from everything going well. So um, as we as we look at this um, time of Jonah's life, we also know, I don't know if you said Cecily or not, but this was around, um, I don't know, 760 B.C., I think. Uh, so the contemporary prophets with him, Elisha would have just wrapped up his um, life. <laughs> and then we're also looking at Amos, Isaiah, Hosea, um, and then Micah a little bit later. So uh, those prophets had a much harsher job as prophets to come and to give mostly hard news and hard words from God. So Jonah was really, um, I guess, lucky up till this point. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I I would agree with all that. I remember in... um, some of my preparation time, it spoke of how Amos actually was another prophet who God gave the word to speak against this king, and he was actually kicked out. And so Jonah, of course, right now in this moment, he's become comfortable because God gave him a good word to speak, speak into. And again, it's not, we have to remember, it's not anything related to the behavior of God's people. 
because we're told during this time, and we see it a lot throughout Kings, that the king served evil. You know, he, he did what was evil, and a lot of times the people would follow whoever their leader was in their actions. And so it's not reflective of on anything the people are doing. But as Cecily pointed out that last verse, but the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. So he saved them and he uses all kinds of people, even this evil king to save and protect his people because he is a God who is slow to anger, steadfast, abounding in love and full of mercy and grace. And so Jonah is one of those recipients right now, and he is able to extend that mercy and grace to his people. But things are about to shift because the call upon who Jonah was to go and speak with is about to change. But we also need to remember, and Cecily, you might be able to add a little bit more into this too. Um, Nineveh is from, uh, it's the capital of Assyria, I believe. And um, the Assyrians were an enemy and we'll, we might get a little bit more into that. But what I need you to know from the, from the get-go um, is it's about to shift because often when God would give the prophets a word to speak, it would be to speak directly to his people of Israel. Or it would be a word against foreign nations to warn them um, or to speak to endure because judgment would eventually come on the enemy. But we're going to see something a little bit different throughout this book. Yeah, so Amos actually talks about the evil um, and describes the evil of Assyria. They were very well known for how evil that they were. Mm -hmm. Um, And so their evil ways, um, and and Nahum specifically in chapter 2 and chapter 3 speaks of this cruelties of this nation. And so they were so um, well known um, for how evil they were. And so that's a starting place of when God says to Jonah, okay, so now you're going to go talk to these people. And you mentioned, Angie, um, a, a capital. That's like the closest word that we can come up with. Um, the the commentaries were very clear that it it's not really a capital, but yet um, it's what we can align in our minds. So it was an important place. And I do want to point out, we see uh, the first word of um it says the great city, uh, the word great is repeated. So we have two words that are repeated throughout. Great is repeated 14 times throughout and then bad. And both are adjectives. And I just want to go back to what Heather said. This is a book about a great God. So often we go to it looking for ourselves, looking for something for me to take away. This book is about God completely. And it is such a far-reaching book because he's taking this message to the Ninevites. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, yeah, we don't want to miss that. And we also look that Jonah was taking the message to Gentiles. So as we go into the New Testament and and we see especially Paul, Paul's mission was to take the gospel to the Gentile nation. And as we see here in the Old Testament, God is doing the very same thing. And this is pointing directly to Jesus Christ. As we study the Old Testament, we see that everything points to Jesus Christ. And here, think about this. All of the prophets that Becca mentioned, um, and as, as Angie said, were being sent to normally their own people, Israel. 
or sent to warn against in foreign nations. Here, Jonah is being sent to tell the Gentile nation that God is going to forgive them if they repent and turn back to him. And we also have to think, too, of just the um, Assyrian uh, nation at that time and how evil it was. A lot of commentaries, if you dig kind of deep into this, really speak of some things that they thought that the, the nation did to Israel. And, you know, as you think of that, Jonah may have witnessed that, may have, his family may have been a part of that. We don't know that. All we know is his heart was hardened and he did not think that they deserved God's forgiveness. I think it's our tendency to, when things are going well, to sort of um, put those trophies on our own shelf. You know, so at this point, Jonah was um, happily fulfilling God's call on his life. And um, that's when we fall into that temptation to think that we are earning our salvation. And I think as we are looking at this transformation process and thinking about this all pointing to who God is and who Jesus is and who he was to us then and now, and um, I've been studying the book of Ephesians uh, with the women's group at church, and it just reminds me of the verses in chapter 2, starting with um, verse 6. It says, he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that on in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are not saved by grace. <laughs> no, you are. <laughs> you are saved <laughs> by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And the, the, the thing that I really think has jumped out at me in this verse is that he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace, through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So what that says to me is we are sitting in heaven with Jesus to display his grace and kindness Mm -hmm. because of our imperfection, not because of the works that got us there because they wouldn't have, we know, but we are sitting there because of our brokenness, because of our flaws to testify of who God is and who his compassion and um, mercy and kindness gave us his son so that we would have the opportunity to be there. So it's not through our works at all, but it's completely about God and his graciousness and his kindness. And we, in our brokenness, just like Jonah, just like Nineveh, just like King Jeroboam II, we are all testifying of who we are and the fact that God allows us into heaven or gives us the hope of heaven is a testimony of who God is. Saved by grace. I mean, it is. You think of that him amazing grace that we so often refer to and in moments we can just be blown away by it but then in other moments we can walk as though we've forgotten that it is nothing of our doing and I just want to pull us in before we wrap up this first session to the to what a lot of commentators say is the theme of Jonah and it comes from Jonah 2 verse 9 where it says salvation belongs to the Lord And that's what we're going to see. We see it all through scripture. We are 
big components of study your Old Testament because it is amazing. And as Heather said before, it's all pointing us to Jesus. We'll even hear in in some of the um, Gospels where Jesus is referred to as the better Jonah, the better prophet, you know, the better priest, the better king. But he'll refer back to Jonah because we'll see as we get into um, some of these details very specific things that are pointing us forward to the only one that could offer us that saving grace. And from there, that's how we live out that living sacrifice, dying to our own will to take up his. And that's what we'll see Jonah wrestle with. And ladies, we're here to tell you it's not easy. We all wrestle. And so we step in, as I think Becca said, in that tradition of saying, we are Jonah. So let's look in the mirror a little bit and see what God has for us. Yes. Yeah, so as, as we close, I do love how you brought it back around to God because uh, the book of Jonah really speaks to answer what the question, what is God really like? And uh, I think that that is something to keep on our hearts as we go through this book to keep looking up. What is God really like? And as Heather said, it is pointing directly to Jesus because he, he is so loving, so compassionate, so full of grace and wanting a relationship with us so much that he sent Jesus. And so it's just seeing him as a God of grace. And, and it's really easy in Jonah to get lost in details that the world doesn't like, that they want to argue. And we never want to take our eyes off of God and what is he like. So I love that you brought it back around to that. I think that is perfect. All right, let's pray. All right, let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for this opportunity just to come around your word. Father, we ask that you draw in each one that is listening, Father, whether they're driving, whether they're sitting with their Bible open or with their children. Lord, we just want to come in and know more about you. And so as we begin this journey through this book, we pray that you will guide us in the Holy Spirit and you will guide each person who listens, Father, who studies, who chooses to sit down and want to know more about you. Father, through it all, may your name be glorified and may you be praised and lifted high. In Jesus' holy name, amen.